0: How loud does a trumpet have to be to get your attention? When I was in high school, I played the saxophone uh, because I had started it when I was about 11 years old. And so I continued to play that instrument. But when my own sons went to school, I still remember that also I encouraged them to play in a band, to sing in a choir, that kind of thing. But my number two son, the little one who's six foot two and two something, I don't know, in size, chose to play the tuba. And I assure you, when he played the tuba, it shook the earth when he played. um, Because he was the uh, primary tuba player in his band. Well, the Lord has chosen, as we see in the Scripture to use trumpets.
1: And today, as
0: the scriptures were read, the description of what's found in the seventh seal is a description of seven more issues or seven more descriptions of what God will be about in our future, in the future of this world. And if you'll remember and we reflect, now this week I'm not giving an insert, but probably next week or week after next, I'll give you an insert again to kind of give us that sequencing in our own mind to realize the book of Revelation is not a scary book that should frighten us away from studying it. It is a book that we should take seriously because it challenges us and gives us a clarity for our own condition and that of the lost world in which we live. But today, I just want to remind us, if I can, we remember back that when chapter 1, we began to get an introduction to God's love of the church. as He, he um, uh, spoke to the various churches, and he had the situation with uh, uh, providing a, the candlesticks, the leadership of those churches, and kind of described... Where what it was going to be like when Christ returned and then in chapter 2 and 3 spoke specifically to seven churches and gave illustration within those seven churches uh, for what kind of dangers exist in different churches as well as gave praise to those churches that were well balanced. And then in chapters 4 and 5 we saw how John looked up into heaven and through a vision was able to view and understand who Christ was as the center of everything. It had the beast that surrounded Him and the 24 elders. It showed a model of worship where they bowed before Christ, gave all they were. But then there was something we noticed in there, and that was a scroll that was present. And the question came, who has the right? Who has the ability? Who has the privilege of opening that scroll? And then we saw in Scripture where it said, worry not, there is one who can do it. One who is worthy. And you know and I know who that is. That being Christ. And so then we look in chapter 6 and we start moving through the, the seven seals that were chopped on the scroll. And we begin to see, we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse as we looked at the beginning of chapter six, because it talked about a white horse, and a red horse, and a black horse, and a pale horse. Spoke of the martyrs and their hunger to be recognized and be given some kind of righteousness back through their experience of having been martyred in the name of Christ, that there be some kind of retribution. And it also talked about the wrath of God. The fact that God is patient with us, extremely patient, but even God reaches a point that He says, enough is enough. And we can see that all the way as we move through to the end of chapter 6, and we see the the six seals that are opened. Then we saw in chapter 7 something very exciting, because that's the good news where it talks about the fact that In the midst of all of that insanity, there will be a time when the church will be removed from the picture. The Christians will be removed. No, not the organization. We won't have to worry whether or not we have the best administrative structure or not, or whether our preacher is a good preacher or not. The focus will be on the church, the body of Christ, being removed. So we don't have to ask questions of, how do you forgive someone? What is it like to be in a situation that uh, it seems things are unfair? How do I deal with that? Do I still care about people who are treating me irresponsibly? What is repentance? You don't have to worry about it because all that will be already passed for us. So the church is removed. Security is provided. Then you look in chapter 8. And in chapter 8 today we see the seventh seal being opened on the scrolls, And as we look at that, as we've read just a few moments ago, we saw that instead of it being a time of dancing and excitement and joy, there was a half hour of total awe, silence. Maybe you call it shock. It describes then, and I don't know if any of you have spent any time going to different kinds of temples of different religions, but you know, temples sometimes will do this kind of thing where they'll put ashes inside of a certain instrument and they'll shake it around. And I, when I heard, when I was reading this and reflecting on it, I kept thinking, you know, that censer, and then it was flung out on the earth. And when it was flung out of the earth, spreading and breaking and throwing the the ashes in different directions through the little holes that are within it, I reflected on being a Boy Scout of all things. I remember we used to play games when we were out camping. And I can remember one particular time where we were doing that and a couple of guys were running and so excited they ran straight through the big fire that we had. And when they did, the ashes flew everywhere and we were in an area where there were a lot of leaves. So suddenly, instead of the game being played, we were running around trying to make sure we found all the little sparks. Because we knew we were about to have fires everywhere. And we had a few. The Scripture says, in a very dramatic way, That indeed, actions will be taken that God will not allow us to go on. And in verse 5 of chapter 8, it says, The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunders, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and and an earthquake. You know, we need to understand something. From God's perspective, all the way up to the point, even after this happens, nothing's happened yet you know for you or me if all of that happened we would say ooh but for god this is just the preamble this is the warm up when i was in university uh i was i remember i had a, a a teacher that was absolutely had no shame she loved to give us trouble and so she would ask us to everything. but i was i had a drama teacher that uh knew that they were having a... Uh, yeah, this is for Melanie, I guess. They had a library conference that was coming, in, coming up. And this library conference was in, the, it was in downtown Dallas at the Statler Hilton Hotel. Really nice hotel. And I didn't always weigh what I weigh today, but I was never skinny. But I, along with about five other guys found ourselves dressed like page boys, holding these nice little uh, poles with a banner on the front, walking in. And I can remember all of us were looking at each other saying, this is the stupidest thing I've done in my entire life. The clothing was green and red. Now, we're talking 40 plus years ago, but I still remember, so you can see the impact. But the point was, our role was not to be the center of that conference. Our role was just to say, this is starting the conference. This is the wake up call. The trumpets, the earthquakes, all of the things we see described in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5 in that area, that's just the wake up call to say, are you listening? Brothers and sisters, I fear that God all too often in our lives, you and in your life and in mine, He finds Christians that are all too comfortable. We're comfortable in our seats. We're comfortable in our life. We're comfortable in our job. We do everything we can. most of the time and effort and money we spend is designed on making ourselves secure and comfortable. God is saying here, days are coming when comfort will not be available. Now again, we're speaking at this point not to the church. Primarily, right here, we're talking about what the rest of the world is going to look like. Chapter 8, verses 6 to 7, the scourge of the earth. We've already read these scriptures, so we don't need to... Spend too much time going back and rereading them. But it talked about hail and fire in the earth. One-third of the earth being burned up. The trees, the grass. You know, snow is soft until you get too much snow. And then it gets heavy. And it can do damage. Even as beautiful and soft as it looks to be, when it gets on top of a, a roof and you get enough of it, the damage can be devastating. Hail isn't like that. Hail doesn't even give you a little break. When the Scripture says that hail is coming, we have to recognize hail is immediate and powerful. Several years ago, I brought a group of students from China to visit the United States and visit some Christian universities to try to give them some exposure to the fact that Christianity's impact can even allow quality education to be done. At that time, I remember we talked some about Harvard and Yale. We talked about major universities in America and the fact that most of them. Brown University was a Baptist university. Some of the major Ivy League universities came from Christian background. It was Christians who had a burden to get those schools started. But um, anyway we were traveling and I remember one day we had taken the group in and it was really fun because you had about 6 students and we had a few people leading them around and for for them their eyes were big everything they saw was new but we went into the restaurant we ate and suddenly we started hearing this these little noises just kind of scratching then we looked outside and we realized what was going on it was hailing and the hailstones were about the size of a golf ball. That's a very large piece of ice. And they kept saying, oh, look, look, it's snowing. We need to go outside. I said, it's not snowing. And you don't need to go outside. But they kept saying, oh, but I want to feel it. And I said, go to your refrigerator and get a piece of ice. That's what it's like. But we talked about it and then they began to watch a few people running into the restaurant and they realized those people were hurting because they had been beaten up by the experience of trying to get from their car into the restaurant. And then they began to look at some of the cars that were parked right beside the restaurant and see the dimples where the hail had caused damage already. When the Scripture says that hail will come, it's not saying Find my life, slowly it will come. It's saying it's coming hard and coming fast, and it's going to be powerful on our lives. And that's what it's warning us, warning the people, and warning us also. Today I want us to think about how we relate to this. Because we see the scourge of the earth in verses six and seven, the scourge of the thieves, verses eight and nine, a third of the creatures will die. You know, if those people like to eat. Seafood, they better eat it now because there won't be any then. Verses 10 and 11, the rivers, the water will begin to change in its availability. You won't be able to go out and turn on your spigot and be able to drink water. It simply won't be there because it will all be dirty and, and be polluted. The Scripture goes on and it talks about the stars. It even reminds us and says something talking about Wormwood in verse 11. It says, The name of a star is Wormwood. A third of the waters will be turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. And we need to remember that in the Scripture, when it talks about stars, it often refers to angels. It refers to angels. Not good angels, not bad but angels. It refers to both kinds at that point. Isaiah 14.3 reminds us that Lucifer desires to be above all the angels that he, and that he was indeed a fallen star. Some, would re, some people would relate Wormwood maybe to Satan as being one of his primary workers. For myself, when I hear the word Wormwood, I tend to reflect on screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis because that's one of the ones that within that particular book that name is used to uh, describe an individual who is very bitter, very negative, who seems to see the worst in things instead of trying to do things that are best for others. You know, in our church, we every now and then find people who will also find that they have reached the point of being wormwood. And we need to pray for them because we also have that same potential. Anyone has the potential if we get confused in our values. And the church is God's family, not something to be hurt and harmed. Isaiah prophesied that the darkening of all of these sources of light during the day of the Lord, behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel uh, with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and He will destroy its sinners from it for the stars of heaven and their constellation will not give their light and the sun will be darkened in its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. That's Isaiah chapter 13. So even in Old Testament times, there was an awareness that God is a just God and will not be patient forever. In trumpet number four, it speaks of the scourge of the heavens. The scourge of the heavens, the woe is presented, if you will, and here it says that a fourth of the angels sounded, the fourth angel sounded the trumpet, a third of the sun was struck, and the moon and the stars were all impacted again, just as people had understood from years before in the Old Testament that indeed our loving, kind, caring, touchy-feely, if you will, God. Is also a righteous God. And that He has not only the ability and the responsibility, but He also has the plan to one day step forth and say, Enough is enough. Verse 13 says in chapter 8, I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in the midair calling out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of this trumpet blast all about to, uh, to be sounded by the other three angels. It was again a type of warning. It's very interesting that God Having given man as many warnings and opportunities as he has to repent and to come to him, even at this point, says, I am not the one condemning you. You are condemning you. You are your own condemnation when you deny God. Trumpet number five. The scourge of a locust. One of the woes. verse nine, uh, Chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. In him it was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. The description of Abaddon, this individual, Apollon, is such that it's pretty well understood by nearly all that this is a description of Satan. And just simply saying that that's why the battle exists between Satan and God. Satan still, even knowing the end of the book, I'm sure he's read this many a time, he's fully aware of the Word of God, fully aware of the direction of things and where it's to go, and I'm sure he thinks he can do things differently make adjustments, and make things like this ultimately not occur as it's written, that somehow he'll be able to change the, the focus of history, and yet the Scripture still boldly goes ahead and reminds us and teaches us, this is what's going to be. And in the Scripture, one of the Scriptures that strikes me so much as we read chapter 9, verses 4 through here, it describes what these locusts are going to be like and what it's going to be like to see them coming across the world. Well, you know, we remember locusts from the Old Testament. And so it's already been modeled one time there. But uh, we, at this point, we're, we're seeing a little different picture. But as you look at nine, chapter 9, verse 6, you see that these people will have reached a point that even they will be saying, I give up. I surrender. I want to commit suicide. I want out of this thing. It's beyond my ability to grasp how bad it is to have earthquakes and tremblings and war and murders and selfishness only. I cannot stand anymore, I want to die. But according to chapter 9, verse 6, things will get so bad that even suicide will not be possible. No hope. Knowledge is not the problem. The Scripture tells us already. Clarity is here. We know what the Scripture lets us know. And yet still men choose. Not to accept the love of God. The sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet. It goes on all within. Now these trumpets, remember, are all within the seventh seal. The seals that were on the scroll as it was being opened. And the sixth trumpet deals with the killing horses. The mounted troops. Two hundred million And verse 17 says, The horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails. And their tails were like snakes having heads. Now, they use the word like several times. So, we've got terminology like... So, it doesn't mean it necessarily turned into, but it's just describing how awesome, how awkward, how awful, how terrible it could possibly be. Verse 20, The rest of mankind that were not killed by the plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, and silver, and bronze, and stone, and wood, and the Canadian loony, and the USA dollar. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, and their theft. What does it take to wake us up? Is it my son James's tuba? Maybe it will be better than the trumpets. Maybe the trumpets weren't loud enough. What does it take to, to get us sensitized again to our spiritual identity? What makes us think that life is just about Having a nice house, a nice car, a good job. You remember earlier when we were reading the Scripture, we looked at chapter 6 and we saw a description of of various seals. And then we got to chapter 7 and it took a break. And the Scripture gave us an interlude about the church. And the interlude in the book of 7 basically says, I forgot to tell you, church, don't worry, you're okay. So the the chapter 7 goes through and describes and says, church, you won't be in this mess that I'm talking about. Well, once again here in chapter 10, we see an interlude because it describes a little book. Now, we didn't read this in the Scripture, but it describes a little book in here and it says that this little book has content which will challenge our own understanding of things. And this is between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. The situation at that point is nearly half of the earth's population is dead. One-fourth in the four seals and one-third in the sixth trumpet judgments. Sea life, pretty well dead. Fresh water, pretty well poisoned. And yet, the spiritual world in which we live is still not to be found. The people refused to repent. They refused to recognize that God and the worship of God and the trust of God and the serving of God is why we were created. You don't ever have to ask anybody, I wonder why I'm in this world. We know we're here because God made us for a purpose, to be His servant to serve Him, to be His witness, to love people, to care about people in His name. Not in my name. Not that you would say, oh, He's really something. You know, this morning, whether you think I'm something or not, it's not important. Jesus is what this is all about. You make mistakes, I make mistakes. We need to apologize for that. We need to confess those things. But ultimately, we need to keep our focus on God. And when we know other people are weak, and they've made mistakes, we need to forgive them and move on. The Scripture says that some things are sweet in life and some things are not. And it describes this book. And it says this book has a lot of information in it. And then for some reason, there is instruction by an angel that says, take this book and eat it. It's a little book, I hope. It's called a little book. I hope it's really a small book. I can't imagine someone trying to chow down on a big book. But said, go ahead and eat it. And then in verse 10 of chapter 10, it says, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. Maybe it's like Chinese... uh, uh, food where sometimes you know you can have paper on the outside of food, but it's edible paper. You know, maybe that was what it was. I don't know. But it goes on and it says, "Take it and eat it. It tastes sweet as honey going into your mouth. And when it is eaten, your stomach will turn sour." Then I then I was told you must prophesy again about many people, nations, languages, and kings. You must prophesy again. Even to this point, when the, whole, when the church has been re- re- totally removed, God is still saying, "Ah, oh, I can't believe I created these people. I gave them a spiritual walk now let me take an aside here for just, just a minute, because after all, the scripture has done that with verse chapter seven and chapter ten. I'm going to do it too. Have any of you ever heard the term "We're a product of our experiences?" We're all just products of our experiences. In other words, the background and the things that you've done and the background of the things you've done probably are not the same. Maybe you lived a little bit in Hong Kong, but you came over here and you were 20. Another one says, yeah, I lived in Hong Kong. How long were you there? Six months. Uh, well, I'm probably not going to ask you to tell me what you thought of uh, some of the Hong Kong things. Um, you know, but we, we're products of what it is that came into us. And all that put together makes you who you are. In the scripture, it says that God continues to recognize that somehow there's hope even in the heart of these people that some might repent. And God says, I will not easily. Give up on them. Brothers and sisters, you have uncles, aunts, cousins, friends that are not Christian. They may have cursed you. They may have heard you say you were a Christian and they said, that's garbage. Now, if you're weak enough, you have to depend on God. "Ah, Okay, that's your business, but that's not me. I'm not that way. I think God would look at that kind of person... And he would still say, I created Him. I love Him. Let's try one more time. In the Scripture, if you don't believe it, look at Revelation because it goes over and over and over where that's that's exactly what's happening. It says you must try again. So it's sweet when it goes in, but it's bitter in the stomach. Why is it bitter in the stomach? Because the truth is that without Christ, you know the future of those people. So we look and we see all of that and then we go to chapter 11 and we look finally to the last trumpet. Chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. And any of you who have ever sang the Messiah, know those words and know them well because it's part of the Messiah. But then it goes on. It continues. It says, The 24 elders who sat up with God in the thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped. So this is a worship style that's going on. And this is a great thing that's happening. But then it goes on and it says, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the One who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign." But the nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. Enough is enough. God says that there will be a day that enough will be enough. Brothers and sisters, the God that we worship, we tend to soften Him up so much that we don't respect that He is well balanced. He knows right and wrong. It's just He's got more patience than you do. He's got more patience than I do. When I get tired and exhausted, I say things, I'll argue, I'll get... God doesn't do that. But there is going to be a time when He's going to say, I've listened and I've listened and I've listened and you've never repented. When I see this Scripture and I see the seven trumpets, I come to a challenge and the challenge is to say today in our world you and I can be salt, light and for Chinese, ginger if you like to eat spicy stuff. We've got the opportunity to serve. The question is are we spiritually burdened or are we also just like the non-Christian friends around us who have found their whole lives focused on their job, their position, their education, making other people happy. I pray that God will reach into your heart and remind you there's something more important for you and for BCBC, than ourselves. Let us pray. Father God, we thank You today that Your Scripture is our teacher. We thank You today that we can see the testimony of the trumpets, even though it's scary to us. It's frightening. It looks like something out of a movie, The Mummy or, or, or something like that, where we see all these, these strange beings. Come